is warfare. The um, the picture. Why is a battle the picture of the end of human history? Before we start looking at the specifics of this battle, to just sort of think. Third time, get to the end. Battle, then the end. Why? Why do you think human history draws to a close with this warfare? Yeah, Ronnie. Well, battles are begun because there's opposing views, and these are obviously diametrically opposed good and evil, and it's going to come to a head, and that's how it's going to end. Okay, so you know we think when we think battle, we think uh, uh, opposing views, and as Ronnie says, these views are diametrically opposed. There, there can be no compromise between these two forces, uh, so it is inevitable that they come to this uh, this end. Church was based on. Go back to Genesis. Yeah, to, to think about um, it, it starts. Yeah, um, I, I wrote that exact. It's been war the whole time. Why should it end any differently? Um, to think about um, that this is the final battle in this war that's been going on since the book of Genesis. And you know, we mentioned last week that you know to sort of think the emphasis put on Satan, that ancient serpent, in this book is on Satan's deception. And again, to sort of think back to the garden, um, that, that act of deception, and that is what unleashed death into the world. Um, and now in this final act, uh, this final battle, we're, we again have this act of deception that's going to bring ultimately through this battle the end of death. Yeah, and we're gonna have the tree's gonna make an appearance in the the next chapter. Um, again, this kind of source of life um, that humanity's been cut off from, um, and yeah, the way it's it's uh, you know. We had to stave off that tree, you know, put a fence around it while death was in the world, um, while deception was in the world. And now, you know, once deception is destroyed through this battle, once death is removed as a result of this battle, then life, you know, access to that eternal life can result. Uh, Rob, and then I'll come back to you, Mark. We see these stories all the time where you have kind of a lull before the storm at the end. You know, things are looking kind of good, and then they go to crap right for the climax. You know? And uh, you know, God loves story. This is like the ultimate story. This is, this is literally the final battle that will ever be in the battle. Yeah, this is uh, this is the last one, and it, to think, um, you know, the scale um, that of, of this one that we're being depicted, um, you know, it's it's literally, you know, it's universal in its scope. It's also interesting that God is showing us something about ourselves here that we can't. You know, the thousand years of peace when you just think that the things were covered and we're all set. And Received again. And, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. 
Yeah, to think how easy uh, deception. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a difficult task <laughs> for this ancient serpent to deceive. He seems pretty skilled at it. <laughs> Mark. I'm not sure if this isn't something you brought up a long time ago, but the, this whole idea of the tree being off limits for us until death is dealt with, that I used to think that was just a punitive thing that God did, but it was a merciful thing, because if not, then we would have lived forever with sin. And, um, and the consequences of sin. Consequences, yeah. Yeah, and to think about, you know, the next, the next chapter, um, you know, deals with this glorious future. Um, but this chapter deals with, you know, those things that, um, that so trouble life now. <laughs> um, and to think th there's going to be no part, you know, of those things in the next chapter. Um, not to steal too much from, you know, what we're talking about next week. You know, no more tears, no more death. Um, every kind of abomination, everything that's detestable is not going to be part of that new heavens and earth. Um, you know, all that is going to be stripped away. And we see that process of stripping away. Again, you know, using this, this, um, this battle at the end of history and then the judgment that results from it. I was just reading John 11 in preparation for the women's Bible study, and it's dealing with Lazarus being raised. Jesus goes and he weeps right before he raises him. And that always, you know, confused me. And I was trying to, I was meditating on why was he weeping. And part of it is just, he's weeping over the fact that sin creates such havoc in their lives. And he's weeping not for Lazarus because he knows he's crazy, but for his sisters and those who are weeping and crying and yeah, and that death, again, you know, we, there's a way death has become, you know, that uniform <laughs> part of human existence, you know, death and taxes, you know, you know, as I was saying, these are the things that are certain in life. Um, but there is this way that, you know, again, by, at, at the end, it's taking us again back to the beginning, that death has an entry point into to life on earth, and death has an, an end point. <laughs> and there's this point where that, that aspect that we, you know, again, it's universal. Um, from our perspective, you know, everybody dies, um, but there's going to be this point where death will be no more. Andre, and then I'll come to you, James. Yeah, I just uh, I think that um, perspective, revelations in particular, and, and I think the, the theme throughout scripture is the, the, that our ultimate destiny is resurrected in the resurrected state. And I think a lot of Christians, even Christians, think our ultimate destiny is to be in heaven. You know, we die to go to heaven. As opposed to Scripture teaches, no, that's not our ultimate state. We are part of a resurrection. And resurrection is a physical state, however you want to talk about a spiritual physical state. But this is our ultimate hope, the resurrection, not to go to heaven. And I think Revelation makes that. 
Yeah, I, I had a seminary professor who um, I've been thinking a lot about him lately because he, he just died um, a couple of months ago. Um, but Dr. Chamblin used to talk about you know how again this theme of death is unnatural because it splits body and soul, um, and the intention is body and soul to be together, and that's the glorious truth about the resurrection is that um, we will have this this bodily experience of, again, not to steal too much <laughs> from the next chapter, but we will dwell. I mean, that's the theme of the next chapter is, you know, having this dwelling with God that, and God's going to dwell in the midst of this new city. Um, but the emphasis there on, you know, being raised to life. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right to sort of think it's, it's not, you know, this airy fairy kind of, you know, it's, we're, we were made in the image of God with a human body and a human soul. And that is a full human being. Um, and that's the intention. And death is horrid because it divides those things. It rips those things apart. Um, and the glorious thing about the resurrection is that it, it re, you know, it brings back together um, the way God uh, intended. It restores his creation. I like the way he brings up these people that have been beheaded and had their heads chopped off, which is, you know, uh, fairly decisive. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, they, they, they must have beheaded them in order to deal with the problem. Right? They had a problem, which was these Christians that were, you know, causing whatever trouble, and they thought they solved the problem. Right, through death, beheaded, they, they solved whatever problem, they tried to solve whatever problem they had. Um, but, you know, it doesn't appear to be working. <laughs> Yeah, and you know the contrast. You know we talked about uh, last week how you know it, it, it enumerates a second death, and the first death is you know in the passage by implication with this kind of, and the second death is the one you really need to to be worried about. That's the death that really uh, is final. You know this first death. You know cutting people's heads off. You think that brought to an end? No, <laughs> that's not the one. That's not the final one. Right. Fear the one, he who kills the body and soul, or can touch the body and soul. Um, well, good. Um, well, let's talk some specifics about the battle before we turn to the um, final judgment. So, you know, we've seen throughout the book allusions to Rome in the last few chapters. You know, we've been talking about um, uh, the city of Babylon. And, you know, I think we can recognize those and make sense of those pretty clearly. Gog and Magog. <laughs> um... Yeah, <laughs> why Gog and Magog? Um, you know, how do we make sense of of these forces? Um, and we can start. Um, and I, I referred to this last week, so it's a. Um, uh, chapters 38 and 39 of the book of Ezekiel um, present Gog and Magog um, as well and describe, again, uh, pretty much the scene we see here, the forces, them gathering the forces of the earth to, um, to camp around um, Jerusalem and destroy it. Um, so why, 
Um, well, let's turn to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, uh, so it, it, verse 2, we're introduced to these things. Um, Son of man, set your face toward Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. So there you go. That, that makes things, you know, crystal clear. <laughs> Um, yeah, there, and again, there's a lot of, um, because these are not specified people. Um, there's a Magog that shows up in the lineage of Noah. Um, one of Japheth's sons is named Magog. Um, and then he sort of, not disappears, but, you know, we don't hear much about him. <laughs> but, you know, so the picture we're given in Ezekiel 38 is there's this land of Magog and it's north. <laughs> so, you know, um, people have come up with all kinds of, because it's, it's, it's not a particular reference, again, to sort of think, you know, Babylon is very particular and sort of has its set of symbols that accompany it. And Rome was the experience of these first century Christians. And so, you know, you can make all kinds of allusions in the original audience, clearly pick up on those. Magog, it's fuzzier. Um, uh, it doesn't have, uh, and again, people, you know, uh, you flip to a lexicon, it's, it might say these are the Scythians, you know, who dwelled in southern Russia. Um, that's who these people are. It, it, scripture does not um, ever make it distinct. Um, we know they are people. They are people Ezekiel is supposed to address. Um, we know they kind of they're coming from the north, but more particular than that, we do not get. Is there a massive group of bad guys? Yeah, <laughs> they're like my political science professor who, uh, you know, he'd have these kinds of quips in the middle of class, and one time he uh, quipped about ninja. What do we know about the ninja? All that we know is that they go around dressed in black trying to kill people. They're evil and they must be destroyed. That's all we know about the ninja. <laughs> you know, these people, we know that they, what we know about them is that they um, are this force that gather other forces to them. Again, that, that's the picture we're given in Ezekiel is the same idea that they're um, they're calling other nations. Persia, Cush, Put are with them. All of them with shield and helmet. This idea that this they're a force that um, that attracts to them, you know, all the nations of the earth. And I love um, 38.10, again, to sort of think of there are all kinds of connections between Ezekiel 38 and 39 and our chapter in Revelation. Uh, Thus says the Lord God, on that day, thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme. You know, what does that sound like? <laughs> 
you know, the deception that we see in, in Revelation. And the evil scheme is that they're going to um, attack uh, God's people who are depicted as uh, here, dwelling securely, all of them dwelling without walls, having no bars or gates. So again, this kind of picture of um, this peaceful, prosperous, um, you know, completely uh, anti-people of war that, you know, Gog, um, leading Magog, are coming upon to destroy. And that's the picture that Ezekiel is giving us of, of these people that have in their hearts to wage war against uh, the peaceful people of God. Yeah, Vic. I'm going to cut the And the reason why Gog and Magog, you know, we don't know, it's, it's because it's not this kind of definite place here that's going to attack this definite place here. But the picture we're given in, universe, in Revelation is they're attacking the beloved city, um, you know, this the camp of the saints universal, you know, and it's the picture that we're given in Revelation that Gog and Magog are gathering from the four corners, you know, again, that's the biblical reference to universal, you know, things coming from all corners is totality. So again, just it's setting up this, you know, this evil force that seeks to destroy the people of God wherever they may be found. Uh, to give another perspective, uh, I guess more of the literal view or the conspiracy view is that, uh, like you said, I think it was Josephus who concluded that God, my God, was Scythian, yeah. Asian, so, uh, Southern Russia, basically. Southern Russia. And, spoke, and he also mentions here in Ezekiel, uh, Prince of Raj Meshach. Which can also be pronounced uh, Mas 
Emphasis is on, um, you know, the revelation. I mean, the Ezekiel picture focuses on Israel and you know uses the image of, of um, you know, these forces coming to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. Revelation, it's more fluid. <laughs> it's, it's a more indistinct. Uh, it's not putting us in a specific geography. It's putting us in totality, you know, universal. So uh, Ezekiel speaking to God, verse 16, uh, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O oh God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So the message is to the bad guys. He's saying, you're here for my purposes, and, and I'm using you for my people, you know, even though you're, you're about to beat them up. Uh, it sort of reminds me of the fact yeah, and to think, and we're getting, I think, I would say we're getting that same message here. You know, to think of, uh, again, I, if we treat the battles in Revelation and the, you know, the battle, you know, with the definite article there, you know, the battle, uh, we have that construction a couple times. We have it in chapter 19. Um, and the focus on chapter 19 is, you know, if you remember, is Jesus, you know, this figure on a white horse who's coming to train out, <laughs> you know, the fury of God's wrath, you know, uh, and then, you know, and a calling to the birds of the earth to gather for to feast on the flesh of man. Uh, look at um, chapter 39 of, of Ezekiel, um, verse 17. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort, to all the beasts of the field. Assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mounts of Israel. You shall eat flesh and drink blood. So again, to think <laughs> you're having, you know, chapter 19, um, you know, is referencing, again, the same battle of Gog and Magog and the same kind of calling to the birds of the air. And chapter, to think why repeat the battle in two chapters is to present this picture that, that you're talking about, Rob. The, the idea that in chapter 19, the emphasis is on, um, you know, Christ bringing uh, God's judging wrath on these assembled nations. And the emphasis on chapter 20 is the assembled nations gathering to destroy um, the camp of the saints and the people of God. Um, and, you know, again, this is the picture we've been given in Revelation where they think they're going to destroy the, the Lamb and his followers, but that's the act of their destruction. <laughs> you know, they're following the intentions of their heart, which God is 
is directing to bring their judgment upon them. So again, to see it not as two different battles with different purposes, but Christ has his purpose of bringing the fury of God's wrath in chapter 19. These people have their purpose of destroying the people of God, and God's using that to bring about um, his wrath and judgment. It feels like this chapter, a lot of it is about Satan in terms of what happens. The deception, especially. And what is his ultimate destiny? As much as it is about the author of God. Yeah, that he's the controlling force behind them. And, you know, we're seeing him taken to his ultimate destiny. Um, and his followers, you know, follow him in that same ultimate destiny. And the, again, the picture we're given here of Satan is, you know, he's being bound and released. Uh, you know, he's being chained and unchained um, based on God's intentions. It's easy for us to kind of fall into a dualism, you know, where it's, you, you would expect, you know, Jesus and Satan to eat on the field of battle. Um, but it, it's not even, it's not really like that. He's being chained in prison and released. Released when God wants him to release. Right. It's not a duality. Yeah, he is, he's not a, you know, he has, uh, again, to sort of think of these forces are not doing something out of character for them. He's not doing something out of character for them. He is, by nature, the deceiver, yet he's not an independent, you know, entity. Um, in uh, Ezekiel 38 it says the oh God chief prince of Meshach and Tubal and I knew I'd seen this Tubal before but Tubal came <laughs> Genesis chapter 4 and this is the line of, of Cain and I guess Tubal is like a great grandson Tubal Cain is a great or great grandson of, of Cain but this is all like uh, Point right back to uh, Satan's deception of himself that he was going to rise up above God Almighty. And, uh, you know, Cain killed his brother, had, had these children, and uh, yet God had put his hedge of protection around Cain. And then uh, one of uh, Cain's, I guess it's his grandson, Lamech said, Ada and Zillah hear my voice, you wives, and let me listen to what I say. I killed a man for wounding me. So you killed a man for insulting him or something like that, something less than. And a young man to strike me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So here he's, he's, Lamech is putting himself up above uh, the protection that God gave to, to Cain. And it's, it's really pointing back to just the whole thing from the very beginning this uh, rebellion against God and that the key players are going to be there, the chief prince of, of God and may God are going to be in this final battle and get wiped out. So, Yeah, again, to, to think of the totality of this that and that these forces have, uh, have been aligned and aligning this way throughout history. And the, the thing about um, you know Cain's offspring there, that you know, they're, in a sense, they're bragging 
about evil, you know, and when we get to, to Genesis um, chapters 5 and 6, every thought of their heart was evil all the time, you know, that kind of dramatic ex escalation. Um, and we see that, you know, result of deception coming forth here, this, this evil intent of their hearts to wage war against, um, to, against God's saints. And, you know, the result, and the result is the same in Ezekiel, um, you know, Zechariah 12 to 14 has sort of a picture of a climactic battle at the end of the history. You know, they all result in fire coming down from heaven and consuming them. <laughs> um, that this judgment coming from above to destroy. Um, this, again, the idea that, uh, you know, this is, at this moment, they're showing what's in their hearts, and they're going to be judged for that. All right, well, let's turn to the judgment. Um, uh, so, um, I guess a couple of things um, I was thinking about. Um, uh, we have this picture of, um, uh, of these books. Uh, books were opened, books that record the deeds according to what, um, what people had done. And then we have this other kind of singular book, the book of life. So what's the difference between these two books? Why should we care about this heavenly library? Yeah, to be judged by the works one has done is that's not what you're looking for. <laughs> that seems to be to be judged according to what you've done seems to end badly. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, it's still enacted. Yeah, you still have this enacting out, and notice how uh, again, you know um, that. Everyone is present. You know, the great and the small um, are before this throne. All the dead, uh, the sea gives up its dead. Death and Hades give up their dead. Um, you know, uh, again, it's this um, massive resurrection um, that then enacts uh, the judgments. Um, and, you know, you have the judgments being um, brought forth uh, from, uh, again, I love the kind of materiality of this, from actual books, <laughs> you know, that there is this record. And it's indisputable. Um, it's not, you know, again, sort of God doesn't need to write things down in books, so he doesn't forget them. But it makes it a public record. Um, but even the singular one, it says the dead were judged by what was It mentions again what they had done. It says, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. 
according to what they had done. Okay, so that's the first. I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I was just struck by this kind of singular, the book of life, and it ha always has that definite article. This is, you know, this is the Lamb's book of life that we've seen in other places um, in Revelation, um, you know, back into one of the churches, um, the church in Sardis. Uh, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of the book of life um, you know it's always singular whereas you know we've got lots of books plural describing um, you know what people have done um, so again sort of the emphasis being on the people who are being judged um, and judged negatively are being judged according to what they have done each one of them. Um, uh, and then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the emphasis is on is the, the real defining book is the book of life. Are you in it or not? Victor, you had your hand. First of all, you know, like in the book of James, when he kind of says we're justified by works, you know, it's more like our works, you know, before refined. Yeah, you know, people will see from our works, you know, what we have, what, what we have done. Of course, God judges, you know, and he knows those who are his. But it is what we do as visible to the world that shows to the world that as a testimony against against them and for ourselves and for, for the glory of the Lord that we belong to the Lord. So in that sense, you know, we are kind of judged by our works. And secondly, we are also kind of judged by our works because God has promised to, to reward, you know, every good thing we have done for him, even though all our works are tainted with sin. So it's not necessarily uh, you're not in the bind, actually. No, no. And I, I'm not wanting, I wanted to sort of get to that moment of our works are important um, in that sense. But they don't define, you know, you know, there is no question of, well, you know, let's weigh and see if you've done enough or, you know, let's put it on a scale. The defining book is, is your name written in the book of life? Um, ha, ha, is your name um, been presented there? Uh, you know, you know, have your works been clothed, been washed in the blood of the Lamb? And that, you know, is that's the defining uh, book in that sense. Um, yeah, Mary. Murderers, sexual immoralities, all liars. <laughs> you know, this next picture we're given in chapter 21 of the same picture. Um, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Um, and again, to go 
back to, to what Rob started us off with. It's the idea there is this physical record of these horrendous deeds. Um, you know, it's the evidence that's been laid out. It's not up for debate or dispute. Um, this is the record, and they're being judged according uh, to it. There's nothing unrighteous about their execution. Everybody's deeds are being replayed, so, right? and um, and all of us, you know. Yes, there there are some uh, like in the last chapter, the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And so yes, there, you know, there are righteous deeds that have been done, but we're all kind of having our life replayed before us, and you know you see the you know everything that you've done, and then and then this book of life is. Some people are you know, that's the kind of picture, it feels like everyone's. And, and that's the picture, I think, when we compare the other New Testament passages where we're given, you know, especially those passages from the gospel, where the saints, you know, their reply is, well, when did we do? <laughs> I have no memory of, you know, of feeding you or doing this whenever you did this to the least of my brother. You know, we have that picture of, of this judgment and, you know, the saints being sort of surprised by things that are being credited to their behalf. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think even though the emphasis, this pat. I just want to say this passage is emphasizing the judgment according to works tends to be. <laughs> this is the moment when I'll also no longer be a sinner. At this spot, you know, right, right around here. <laughs> Ding! You know, and up until then, I'm still, you know, I still live in this spot. Or you've died. <laughs> and you're living in this, or you have this unnatural existence where body and soul are separated. So you're either a live sinner or you're a dead sinner at this point. Yeah, Jerry. Steve, I was thinking, going back to the two books, the uh, book of life is those I imagine that I've left. And if we do belong to the Lord, then we will want to do good deeds. It's not because we think we're going to be victorious. And if you go back to Matthew um, 24 and 25, about the ten virgins and the talents and everything, you know, God expects us to do that. He doesn't, you know, and if we are His, we are going to do those things. But I do feel we're going to be judged by them. But um, I think if, if the Book of Life, I believe, is that right? I mean, the ones who are elect. Yeah, it's to have your name written in that book means that you've been you've been saved, and nothing can blot that name out. Um, but you're absolutely no, no. It's the effect of being written in that book. Yeah, it, they're coming as result, not um, you know the deeds are coming as a result of having your name written in this book of life. Um, again, and just to think of uh, the emphasis is um, especially when we get into the to the next chapter, um, the emphasis is on the things you're not supposed to that are not supposed to characterize your life. Um, again. Um, 
you know, for cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. These are things that, you know, those are the deeds of people in the lake of fire. <laughs> and, you know, the emphasis, is that how you're going to live? Are you going to live, you know, accumulating these kinds of deeds? Or are you going to be those who are, uh, you know, those among those who conquer? Those who are faithful, those who persevere. Yeah, but this is to say that they never lie. <laughs> even becoming, you know, after you become a Christian, whose whose faith is never wavered, who's uh, who who is not immoral. Uh, it's a matter of degree, right? It's, we do it less than they do. Yeah, I don't think it's a matter of degree. Um, I mean, it is a matter of degree. Hopefully we do it less than they do. <laughs> um, but, uh, and again, which is why to be judged according to your deeds is bad. <laughs> to have your name written in the book of life, that's the defining... My point being that we need to be careful. We need to be proud that once we are efficient, we're thinking now... You know, we're somehow. I've arrived. I mean, I bet, you know, there's going to be Hindus and Buddhists that are more, from the world's perspective, more righteous than I am. Yes. Yeah, one related point, you know, when we're talking about works, we must also look at what Jesus said about it. He said the inclination of our hearts, you know, when we think or when we are angry, so it's really in the mind and the heart that the record is. The deeds that aren't just external. So many of us may appear to be not having done all that, but he knows the inside and our inclinations. So what's recorded there as far as deeds are concerned much more than just the number of murders we've committed or something which other, you know, is quite evident in many cases. But that's a symptom yeah. more than the real you know, nature of the heart. Yeah, right. Well. Every idle word judgment. So it's like the whole history of human beings is going to be replayed over and over and over again from every possible perspective. You know, every individual's life is going to... And so I pictured all this happening in a moment, you know, a timeless moment. Uh, and, but I also noticed that there's passive language here all through this little passage, you know, where, you know, the books were open and such and such was cast into the lake of fire. You know, I, it's interesting that he's not being particular about who's doing the opening and the casting. Yeah, that it's um, the, uh, I mean, the assumption is it's this figure on the throne um, that, you know, these earthly elements are fleeing from. <laughs> um, but yeah, but the verbs are kind of being rendered there subjectless. So I, I wonder if it doesn't mean that, you know, people are casting themselves into like, parts like, this is where I want to be, it's safer over here. And that's certainly been, um, you know, again, t not to get into the whole kind of, double predestination thing but the idea that um, I mean there is this picture here that if we go by judging by the words of or works of the flesh if we're judged by our deeds everybody deserves but you know God has chosen some um, you know in the book of life he's taken them out of, of, of this kind of pot image and you know by default you know everybody else um, not in that book of life is being judged. And again, it's, they're totally deserving of, of everything that happens.
happens to them. Um, we are the recipients of grace. Um, you know, we get um, what Christ has, has earned for us. And that's the point we keep going back to. And what he also said, if you think of it for the ten virgins, they were there, but, you know, they weren't saved, you know, so what good did it do? Yeah, and again, just sort of think of, you know, where, where are you putting your, your trust? Um, you know, at this moment, you know, how do you want to stand at this moment? Um, do you want to be judged according to your deeds? Or do you want to be judged, um, you know, do you want to have, um, you know, uh, Revelation 1.5, uh, the second part of it, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Um, or 5.9 um, is another great image of this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I mean, that <laughs> that's the decisive act, you know, to, and to sort of think, about you know at this moment of the the final judgment to to think of you know the decisive act leading up to that is the cross you know that that's the moment um, that we see uh, you know the the path of salvation for God's people enacted in human history I mean even though we're you know again to sort of think bookend revelation Genesis you know this is solving that problem of sin and death that the book of Genesis introduced but there there's this middle too <laughs> um, you know and again thinking about seminary professors you know it's the way everything prior to the cross looks forward to the cross and every Everything afterwards, you know, looks back to the cross. And so even the end is being viewed through the cross of Christ here. Um, and that act of, of gracious redemption um, and that blood covering us, um, you know, uh, that um, act of righteousness being inscribed on our account. Um, again, to sort of think of, you know, those are the deeds that we want attributed to us. What I really like about this, this you know, study of Revelation is that you, you know, tried to capture that idea that, you know, salvation belongs to our God. But it's written to a group of believers who, um, you know, to us, to them, who are struggling in this world to resist, um, you know, thinking that our salvation comes from Rome or from commerce or from, you know, from whatever, and helping us to get perspective, both looking backwards on our salvation and the cross, but also looking forward on how it all ends, right? That knowing that this is how it ends helps us to live, um, you know, with the sense that this world is not our home, uh, that we can resist uh, and not look to this world for uh, our salvation, uh, the good things that, you know, we might 
Yeah, all the, you know, the, again, this kind of, the things we gain from it. Um, uh, you know, and, and we saw back, again, and it's re referenced, the way so many themes are referenced in this chapter. You know, those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And just, again, to sort of, those are the people that are being held up. And those are the people who made this valuation of choosing uh, fidelity to the gospel over making some compromises so I can do business, so that I can live in comfort, so I won't get persecuted. Um, you know, all these kinds of little choices they made for earthly peace and security um, and not looking to this moment of peace. We're always trying to put this into some chronology. Like when exactly is the thousand years? When is the and, and but that moment of you know now is the time when you have the opportunity to get the mark of the beast or to you know to resist you know that's the moment that those believers are yeah the emphasis is on how we live in light of knowing the end um, and uh, you know that's what uh, John wants to leave us with and he's giving us the picture this week of the punishment. Um, and we've, we've we're past our time, so um, maybe we'll touch on it a little next week by way of comparison. But the idea of death and Hades being, you know, everything's getting thrown into this lake of fire that's um, um, where there's torment day and night forever and ever. I mean, that's one destiny that's being held out. And then next week, we're going to see a very uh, different kind of destiny being um, put forth. All right, well, let me uh, close in prayer. <coughs> Almighty God, we do confess we are sinners, um, that we are sinners in need of Jesus Christ. And we confess that if we were to be judged um, according to our thoughts and deeds, that we um, would be found uh, deserving of the lake of fire. But we praise you, O oh God, that you have chosen us to have our names written in the book of life, that we will be judged according to what Christ has done and how Christ has transformed and clothed our deeds in his righteousness. That even our, um, that our righteousness uh, is as filthy rags, but his righteousness clothes us in pure white linen. And that we have been washed white through the blood of the Lamb. Uh, help us to celebrate uh, his sacrifice for us, his redemption of us, and help us to then live um, as those who have been redeemed, that we would, uh, through our, our acts, uh, through our deeds, bear witness to um, what he's done, to not bear, to try to, to pretty ourselves up, but to point others to the grace and redemption that's to be found in Christ alone, that there is no uh, other book that can be opened that can bring deliverance, but it's only 
uh, this book, the Lamb's Book of Life, that people have hope for eternity. Uh, give us those kinds of hearts that we would be faithful and true in our continued service to the Lamb. And we pray in Christ's name, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.